DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now Pay Letter promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. David, good morning. How are we doing in Utah? We are doing quite well. We are very intrigued by this game. A couple of 5-1 and one teams ready to face off. And a lot has been made here of uh, Jeff Grimes, former BYU offensive coordinator, going to Baylor, and now the teams know each other and recognize each other's offense on film, right down in some of the finer points. They've all had Jeff Grimes yell something across the practice field about details or in a film session, so they've all got that ringing in their ears. From the Baylor perspective, how much of a difference has he made? Well, the, the, the numbers, the stats, the results, they say it all. Um, and Eric Mateos as well, uh, bringing what he brought uh, as an offensive line coach because those two basically are like they think on the same page. And and I, I, I cannot explain, and I don't know what happens this weekend or going forward because their schedule will be – uh, a tough little uh, slate coming up, you know, with what they have, including with Brigham Young. But last year they could not run the ball at all. I mean, I honestly, they had, I think after the third game this year, uh, maybe in the fourth game this year, they had as much yards rushing as they had all of last year. Now they played nine games, and, and they weren't, they were two and seven. They could not run the ball. They could not make a push. They could not get a third and one. They could not get a fourth and one, and they surely weren't going to get a third down in six or seven, and they just didn't have anything, and it was just a mess. And I don't know if it was because of the lack of spring drills, because of talent, because of uh, a disconnect between Joe Wickline, the previous offensive line coach. I don't know, but, you know, they're they're five and one. They're a win away, and I know that when you start to be good as a program, uh, under the run that they had under Art Bryles, uh, the first year they became bowl eligible in 2010 was a big deal because it had been 17 years. But they've also had 1-11 and 2-7 and seven recently, and so getting bowl eligible is a big deal, and that's what they're one to win away from. And and I, I think that's the next step. Now, they want to do much more than that, and the whole thing comes down to the fact that Abram Smith, they moved him from linebacker to running back. Uh, they needed that, that one cut, that wide zone type mentality, they have the talent in Tristan Ebner, uh, Tristan, Tristan Ebner, excuse me, who could get loose in anything. But I mean, it's been huge. A- Abram Smith's averaging over seven yards a carry. Uh, he, um, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Now they they have to do it week in and week out, but it is mind-boggling. Oklahoma State kind of roughed them up a little bit two weeks ago, but they have a very very good front against the run. They they still broke a long run on fourth down with Abram Smith going, I think, fifty-four yards, but. That combination, it's been a breath of fresh air, and I think everyone's thrilled with what they've seen considering they're only six games into what they're doing, although he's been around since early January. I love the fact that through these six games, the quarterback has had zero interceptions. That just stands out big time taking care of the ball. Now, my thought for you, you're seeing all the throws. How much are they trying to get it downfield? Is it a bunch of safe passes? What's the reason why he has no interceptions? Well, I think a lot of it is, one, the protection's better, although he's been hit, and he's one of those that will stay in the pocket, Gary Bohannon, until like somebody basically knocks him down. In some cases, you almost wish that he would take off and run. 
And that's another big change, that they've changed it up because the running game then protects the quarterback in the passing game. He's thrown it around now, and he's, he's had maybe a tip pass or two where he might have gotten fortunate. He's thrown it deep. Last week they had a big, quick 75-yard touchdown, but it was probably more of a 15-, 20-yard play. Taekwon Thornton hit Florida, uh, turned it, and then boom, he's gone. But they've thrown it deep, and, and that's also a breath of fresh air because they rarely could do that last year as well. Charlie Brewer was not going to be somebody that could sling it, you know, consistently across the field uh, on deep outs, so or he's not going to be able to hit too many post patterns. He did early in his career at Baylor, but then just started taking so many hits, and, and then also the lack of running game and protection. But Gary Bohannon can make most every throw. I mean, that's, that's, that's an immediate change this year as well. And, and, and that's also helped Jeff Grimes in, in what they're doing on offense. But... Yeah, it, it, I didn't even realize that. You know, I really know the Baylor will also defensively, they'll force some turnovers. They'll get some picks. There's no question. But I didn't even realize that until somebody brought that up. I'm like, what? But, you know, Gary, this is really the first time he's ever had numerous snaps. So he was part of a Matt Rule team on occasion that would come in and do a short yardage. Everyone thought of him more as a wildcat guy. And I mean, they, they have at times been able to kind of, I don't want to say, that uh, the word is not dummy down the offense because that's unfair to carry. That's not it at all. They've just kind of been very careful, but then they've opened it up on occasion. And, you know, we know that's that's going to change. I mean, they, that, that's an impossible stat. But, yeah, he can make all the throws. He, he's got some weapons. They now have the, the emergence of the transfer from Dartmouth. It drew Estrada, the Ivy League guy who was not really a healthy early of the year. He gives them another possession receiver. They've got the deep threat in Tyquan Thornton and R.J. Sneed. Uh, it's not like they throw a lot of deep passes, but last week they started to open it up. They've opened it up a little bit before, but that's a crazy stat and a, an incredible stat for a guy that really hasn't played much football entering this season. So just looking at the stats, I mean, they've got five guys in the receiving core who, including their tight end, uh, excuse me, excluding their tight end, he's the one guy of the top six receivers who doesn't have a 40-yard play. And you say they don't throw it deep much. So is it a bigger deal for them going over the top, or is it a bigger deal for them to hit on short and medium passes, and then the other team doesn't tackle well, takes a poor angle, whatever, and they break a big play off that? They've done that. R.J. Sneed, uh, in a game earlier this year, caught like a quick little out, got a block, broke a tackle, and went, I want to think 70-plus yards, whatever it might have been. I can't remember the exact distance. Uh, and what I loved about it is you saw guys running downfield with him, making blocks. Any long play, running play, or passing play, there's going to be a wide receiver most likely, unless it's just one of those fourth-and-one short-yarded situations where you break the line of scrimmage and you're gone. Uh, the, the play last week to Tyquan Thornton uh, was, a again, like a 15- or 20-yard throw. He turns, gets away, gone. They've hit the deep post to Tyquan Thornton as well. Uh, ben Sims, the tight end, has caught a few passes in that 30-plus range. In fact, had one, I think, last week in, in, in the win that they had against West Virginia. They can air it out. He can throw the deep post. He can throw the deep fade. But it's not like when, when they had that, that constant just scare the hell out of your defense and secondary by throwing it over the top under the, the years of Art Bryles. This has been more of a pro-style offense, just like Brigham Young. And they have receivers who have become dynamic after the catch. And last year, other than R.J. Snead, Tyquan Thornton was pretty much not even existent. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact they just couldn't get him the ball. 
And and so now they've got guys, and then and yet you know that's kind of like turnovers on the defensive side. It's kind of contagious. It's it's become contagious. Now everybody wants to be that guy that goes fifty sixty. Of course, everybody does. But it's if you get one of those two of those early in the year where you actually catch what is a sixty seventy yard touchdown, but it's a fifty yard run after the catch. That becomes contagious, and I think that's happened as well. They'll throw it over the top, but they just don't live and die with that. When I look at an offensive coordinator who's an old offensive lineman, it doesn't really surprise me that they're able to run the ball because that's what those guys want to do. And I look at both of these guys, the top two running backs, they're having all sorts of success there. Uh, How much do you think that it's just the philosophy versus what they had last year that is leading them to have success at running the game, running the ball? They had uh, they they they've had two transfers. Grant Miller, young man, came in, uh, you know, a, a transfer from Vanderbilt, and then they uh, Jacob Gall came in from Buffalo. And everyone knows Buffalo last year had one of the best rushing attacks in the country. Their coach now at Kansas, and he brought a couple of linemen with him to KU. Uh, I, I think the combination of an offensive coordinator who's an offensive line coach and his running buddy Eric Mateos at the same time, uh, and they went to the wide zone. Uh, and, and it's given, and they found the people who can run it. They, that they've taken what they have as offensive linemen. Now they had to change a lot, and including what people had to do. They got a left tackle in Connor Galvin is really, really good, and they have a couple of transfers who are you know grown men uh, that have come in and given them a little oomph as well. And, and then other guys just got better. I remember having a conversation. It might have been either during or after spring drills with Eric Mateos. I said. Tell me, and, and, you know, some coaches, it's weird. They come in, and they don't even watch film from the previous year. They don't want to see bad habits. They don't want to have any kind of uh, pre uh, misconceptions or whatever. He told me he did not think last year or the line that they had after spring drills was a talent issue. He thought it was just a commitment issue. Like, some of these guys had their clocks ticking. The left guard in Xavier Newman has been hanging around. He had to play early as a freshman when they had that 1-11 team. I mean, he's like an 18-, 19-year-old kid playing college football on the offensive line, which is basically unheard of. And he thought it was more of a commitment issue. In other words, they had to get tougher. They also – and they, they changed strength and conditioning, Coach. That makes a difference as well. There's just something about that. You know, some guys can get to players and some can't. And, and then also on top of that, those some of these offensive linemen were just kind of there. And I think Mateos was able to kind of get inside their head, some of it psychological, some of it with – you learn how to coach individuals differently, and they've just kind of become pretty good. Uh, and, and now the wide zone that, that changes up, uh, people run it. It's not like that's new, but it's different. And it, it's, it's, it's allowed what they have with who they have, which maybe they weren't able to just overpower people with what they had. Now they can get the defense kind of sliding, have the cut back, the one cut with Ebner or uh, with uh, uh, Abram Smith, and it's working. Uh, I, I I think Jeff Grimes' mentality, what is it? Um, uh, he wants it to be violent. He wants the offense. He used that word as a term. I can't remember what it was, but it's violent. And when I heard him say that, now sometimes coaches say that. That doesn't mean you can do that. But that's what we never, whoever covered Baylor or covered Baylor as an opponent, whatever, there was no violence. The defense played that way, but the offense just had nothing. It was almost like a pillow fight. And that's not to be negative and try to be critical 
of young men, but it was almost the way they played on the offensive line. They were manhandled, and it was kind of like they just had nothing. No hope at all. Grimes came in and said, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to change it. And along with Mateos, that's what they've done. Yeah, we've heard that about teams that throw the ball a lot. Uh, when you're pass blocking, you're not that aggressive. You're not that violent. He likes the uh, phrase, R, the letters RVO, reliably yeah. violent offense. Yeah, reliant, Yeah, right, exactly right. He said that very early. We had him on right after he was hired. And when I heard that, I was like, I just like the sound of that. Now, hey, listen, we, we weren't sure. We watched spring drills, and there were still some hits and misses, and, and there's going to be times they run into a brick wall. Well, now they have a quarterback who can air it out a little bit more. And, and, and you got, again, they've made some changes. Two new transfers, grown men come in to help you with your depth and even starters on the offensive line. You take a linebacker who was an all-state running back at West Texas at, at Abilene High School. You move him from what was running back to linebacker, and then somebody says, we need somebody that can run this type of offense at the back position other than Tristan Ebner. They lost John Levitt to Penn State, who would have been perfect for this. And they, you know, that's a coaching decision. That's noticing what you might have. And also someone went to Dave Aranda and said, you know Abram Smith played running back in high school, had like 5,000 yards. For them to make that decision, he's having a very good start to this season, was also a great coaching decision as well. David Smoke joining us, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. This Baylor defense in a sport where 30 points is an average number for an offense to score, they've given up 29. That's a season high in a 31-29 win over Iowa State. They've given up a little less than 18 points a game, which is 21st in the country. What is going to be the biggest problem here for the BYU offense to solve with the Baylor defense? They're really, really fast. Uh, and again, sometimes size beats speed. Sometimes speed overwhelms size. So that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I uh, they they pick off passes. They they bring people from different angles. Uh, they have that kind of hybrid. I they I, they call it like the jack position. Heck, it might be called the star. It's a star position. You know, everybody has their own little terminology for kind of that hybrid linebacker safety position. Uh, they're they're really very disruptive. They have a defensive a nose tackle uh, in, in Siaka Ika. He came in. He's a transfer from LSU, 350-whatever-you-want-to-call-him-pound guy that started the last two games to make some plays. Made a huge play against Iowa State, a deflection for an interception, but he had a couple of sacks last week and they went against West Virginia and got really disruptive. He kind of is the motor. Now, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, 2-8, uh, and eight, they're the ones that really are, are the big play guys that, that really are the ones you have to worry about because they're both coming from different angles. But the big nose tackle inside, you guys know that. If you have somebody that can kind of help control or take up some people inside, that lets everybody else, especially if you have speed run. They have a ball hawk secondary. That doesn't mean they haven't been beaten. Uh, they did get pushed around by Oklahoma State, who ran the ball right at them and hurt them quite a bit. In fact, beat them up in the first half. But I think that's kind of challenged in a lot of ways, kind of their manhood. And I think that they, they had to watch that the, the next day, and I think that kind of helped them get uh, kind of fired up for what they had to do against West Virginia, who has struggled running the ball, and they struggled against Baylor as well. Brigham Young established the line of scrimmage. We know that's what it is. It's, like, it's not a mirror image of what both teams are doing, but it's very similar. To me, whoever can run the ball most effectively, uh, obviously there's always the intangibles, but against the Baylor defense, they did it. Iowa State ran the ball well. Brees Hall, who's an All-American type guy, ran the ball pretty well. Oklahoma State ran the ball pretty well. 
So if Brigham Young can get that and they've got the running back that we know is so solid, just kind of a grinder. Uh, so to me, that's what Brigham Young's going to have to be able to do because if you do that, then then maybe then Hall can, can make the throws he needs to make uh, wherever he or whoever is playing the quarterback position this week to make the plays that they need to make to what are – and Dave Aranda mentioned this, uh, a deep set of wide receivers. So it's going to be fun. I, I, think it's a, I think this is going to be a knockdown, drag-out football game that might actually have some points in it. But I, I think that's Brigham Young's got to be able to establish a running game. And last week, West Virginia couldn't do that. So what's going to be a bigger attraction Saturday afternoon in Waco, BYU, Baylor, or Magnolia Way? <laughs> oh, my God. I'll tell you this. In, in 2010, when I arrived in Waco, and I've been through Waco and done games here before, uh, you know, it really was a city that struggled. And there's been things that have happened here that have not been great. Um and then RG3 comes along. And Brittany Grider in that 40 you know, women's basketball team, and she's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime player. And it, it kind of brought some energy to this city. But uh, honestly, wherever I would travel, like every year I'm fortunate to go do the show for a week, wherever the Super Bowl's played. And, and I remember the first time I was on the road, the first Super Bowl I covered when I got here in 2010, you know, there was a few people that brought up a couple of the tragedies in Waco. The next year I traveled, they said, hey, tell us about RG3 and Brittany Grider. Now wherever I go, tell us about Chip and Joanna and, and the silos and Magnolia. And, I mean, it, is, it, has, re, it has energized. The, 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 the sports athletic teams at Baylor in the early parts of the 2010 uh, decade energized the city, brought some people from Waco that maybe were always kind of felt separated from Baylor. They always called it. Back in the day, the Baylor, Baylor bubble, it brought the community. Yeah, people love to see people win. People love dynamic players. Well, there's not much more dynamic than Robert Griffin III, uh, who's broadcasting the game this weekend, and Brittany Griner, who's in the WNBA Finals. But business-wise, the facelift of Waco, Texas, McLean Stadium, for example, which is you know was built and started in 2014, and, and what they've done downtown Waco, and they got a lot of work to do. And the construction up and down 35, which runs right through the spine of the city, is just a mess. But that business, what they've done, has completely changed the face of downtown Waco. And now that is as big a distraction as anything that has. And there's others, but that one right there, no question. It's made a big difference in Waco's economy. I don't think... I can help the economy in this area. Maybe I'll be there for some games one day. I might be able to help that way. Magnolia Lane isn't going to do it for me. It's a, it's a, it's a hard place to get into, and if you walk in, you walk up to it, and there's these two big like metal silos that just stick right out of the ground, and they've turned that thing into a business. It's like so mul- and of course the TV shows and stuff like that. It's incredible. If they put their name on a toilet, they'll sell it. it, it it's a uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, and in, in a good way. And uh, people have flocked from all over the place. It's amazing. And because of that, then, of course, you have to build more hotels. And there's 55 more hotels, it seems like, that were here than 10 years ago. It's, it's fun. I'll tell you what, Waco's had a lot of bad things. Waco takes a lot of shots. It's not what anyone – someone hasn't been here in five or six years. They would be blown away by what they see now other than – Again, the, the constant construction on I-35, which is a disaster. 
All right, David, we'll leave it there. We appreciate you joining the show once again and looking forward to the Big 12 and talking to you again down the road. Let me tell you something, guys, and I mean this sincerely. Our talk show back at the end of July when all that went down with Texas, Oklahoma, and the SEC, our talk show on YouTube exploded, and a lot of it had to do with the Big 12 trying to survive. And I'm telling you right now, it is every so many people are thrilled with Brigham Young being a part of the Big 12, basically almost like now, like Cincinnati now. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's something yeah. that I think this weekend is almost a celebration in a way. First time they played since 84, and also the factor on the schedule the same year that the all heck broke loose. I, uh, I think it's great. I, I talked to Grant Tapp, the former Baylor coach, about the last time they played in 83 and 84. Uh, this is, this is going to be a, a celebration. I don't know who wins. Going to be a hell of a game, but I do know this. I think everyone really, really looks forward to the best non-conference game they've had at McLean Stadium or in Waco in a long, long time, and the fact that Brigham Young's going to be a part of the conference. People are thrilled with it. David, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again down the thank road. You. Enjoy the game. You too. David yes, Smoke, sir. host on Sikkim 365 Radio. And PK, it is not an exaggeration to say this is the best non-conference game they've had in this stadium. They haven't lost a non-conference game in a decade. TCU got them. Uh, but basically, they, they play uh, smaller teams from Texas. They know they're going to beat. I think Duke has been their big intersectional game in the last decade. So it'll be a big deal, and it's got the added intrigue of this is going to be a conference game down the line. Isn't that just, I don't know what the right word is, ironic, but how timely yeah, when timely. they schedule this series that this is going to be what it's going to occur in a couple of years and they make the big announcement over the summer, well, I guess it was in September, and going forward there they're going to be. And I think, I think the Big 12 is revitalized. It's basically, all right, Oklahoma, Texas, you don't want to be here, get out. Now they've got to keep them, you know, to make sure that they get the money and they'll figure that all out. But I think the folks, and this is from a distance, but just listening to him talk, uh, that the folks are really excited about the programs coming in because they're all, to one degree or another, big-time programs. It's not like, let's face it, Colorado was a big-time program, and Utah was on the verge. And to it, you could argue that they were because uh, they'd had some undefeated seasons in football we're speaking of and basketball had been pretty good. But you're bringing in these four programs that they're all recognizable. So basically, it, it's, I, I, I think the Big 12 would just as soon let Oklahoma and Texas go as long as they give them their money because money talks and then get these programs in as soon as possible and get on with it because I think it has the potential to be exciting. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to wake up for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I came into the season thinking that I was just going to be able to play ball, you know, be able to use my talent uh, to continue to 
uh, you know, inspire, influence people in the right way. Like putting this on me is just like, why are you putting it on me? You know, like this, this is not part of, you know, what's going on in conversations with scientists, physicians and doctors. I'm, I'm just a hooper, right? Like I'm, I'm just a person who, who's being utilized as, as an example. For some odd reason, you know, people love to have my name in the mix of just some BS. That is Kyrie Irving. People love to have his name in the mix on some BS. The flat earth stuff, that was a big deal. Him being critical of LeBron James, that was a big deal. Maybe I'm forgetting other big deals, but when I hear Kyrie Irving, that's the stuff that jumps out to me. Oh, there was some social justice stuff last year that was weighing him down, listening to him talk about that too. Right now... He's not playing for the Nets. We'll see where this goes as the season gets closer. The Jazz are opening up Wednesday night. They finished off the preseason schedule, just four games now. It used to be eight, but they've slimmed that down in the NBA. So they've played their four games. They beat the Bucks last night. Jordan Butler with another impressive it's, game. It's Jared Butler. Jared Butler, Jordan. sorry. Jared Butler with 16 points, seven assists. And his spot in rotation, what... What's that going to look like? How is this going to work? I think we all expect Mike Conley to sit back-to-backs. That's going to open up some playing time. You never know what's going to happen in NBA season with injuries and all that kind of stuff. So there's something out there for him. And obviously it'll be harder to look good in the regular season than it does in in the uh, preseason. Why is that obvious? Because the level of play goes up. The level of intensity goes up. Okay, but that doesn't mean his level of play doesn't go up. It's harder. I don't know that it's obvious. It's, it's harder. I just it doesn't mean he won't do it, but it'll be harder. Uh, yeah, I'm so intrigued by this kid. You think he's and, just going to clear that barrier? No worries. I'm intrigued by him. Intriguement means I don't know it. Uh, but if he demands playing time, then he has to get it. If he demands playing time, I expect he will. Not by not just saying, I demand playing time. No, <laughs> no well, but by the way what, he yeah. defends, by the way he scores, by the way he passes the ball and spaces in the offense and all the other stuff they're demanding he does. The way he rebounds, whole, everybody's got a board. The whole goal is to win here. There is no sense of entitlement, I don't think. So maybe he's not good enough. Maybe he is. Maybe he's the rare second rounder. And it's not that rare. There are guys out there. Uh, that that a play, so I'm just so intrigued. I don't know. I can't say. Maybe it will be too hard. Maybe it won't be. <laughs> One of the things we'll find out. Now they don't have to rush him and give him 30 minutes right off the bat by any stretch. I'm certainly not saying that, but it's it's a storyline, and we love storylines. And I just as soon have him light it up in the preseason because then it becomes a story of what can he do and I agree with you obviously when it counts it's just very it's absolutely that it counts whereas before it didn't count near as much and you know going against second teamers third teamers guys who will not be in the league I understand all that Uh, but it's a storyline and we're in the business of stories and the whole regular season is not created the same. You know, it is possible for a rookie to come in and look good against the bottom quarter or third of the league or the bottom half of the league. You know, matchups matter. Quality opposition matters. And whatever you've done, you haven't gone through an 82-game NBA season. Just uh, the time. At, at some point, guys get worn out. And we'll see how many minutes he's playing. Maybe he won't get that worn out, depending on how they use him and, and what his play demands. 
Do you think he wins rookie of the year? No. You're such a doubter. <laughs> Who cares if he wins rookie of the year or not? Do that means think... he's really good if he wins rookie of the year. Oh, rookie, of the year. rookie of the year goes to someone who already has a big-time name, who goes to a team that isn't very good, where they get lots of touches and lots of shots. If he wins rookie of the year, then that is awesome because the thing is stacked against him from day one. A second-round exactly. draft pick going to a good team, I don't think he's going to win rookie of the year. If you did in that situation, then that would say something because you went off. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that it's a bad team. You had Simmons and Mitchell a few years back. They weren't bad teams. This team is, should be even better than those teams, though. Agreed. So that makes it even harder. Well, and what, what we're not saying is here, here is obviously Butler should be better than Mitchell, too. That would be awesome. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm intrigued because I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but it could play out really well. I mean, you see the stuff, you want to get your hopes up, and then you got to tell yourself, okay, this is preseason games. Do not get out over your skis here. How long before you think he's a full-time starter? Uh, two weeks. <laughs> two? No. Man, you're stretching it out. <laughs> oh, you're going one, huh? <laughs> Well, do they have three games or four I, games? I don't really care about the, the starter. I think the thing you need to judge guys by is how many minutes do they play and do they finish games? I'd be surprised if he finished games early. I'm looking for too. him to make a contribution. Can he make a contribution? Can it be a small contribution to start? And then can it grow? That's the thing I'm looking at. Is it possible? Maybe it's not, but it's certainly one of the things I want to follow. And the other storyline for the Jazz is Rudy Gay, and that one's just on hold here through the preseason. It'll be on hold in the start of the regular season. When does he come back from the heel injury and the surgery, and when is he ready to go, and what does that look like? What are the combinations he plays in? How does he get used? How good is he in this system? Everybody's got high hopes there, but we're all waiting to see it. He's not even on my mind right now. Really? he's not available. Yeah, okay. he's, not, he's not available, so... Why have him on? Because well, he's well, wait till they get Rudy Gay back. And <laughs> when he comes back, he comes back, and then I'll see what he can do. But for now, I'm not worried about it because they got games to play in six days, and they got games to win starting in six days. At six days, and Rudy Gay can't help them. So I'm not worried or thinking about Rudy Gay right now. When he comes back, sure. But they still got games, and they count. So you're going to have to win without him. Oklahoma City at home Wednesday night at Sacramento Friday for the road opener. Two and very winnable games, you would think, wouldn't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. with or without Rudy Gay. I would think that those are both lottery teams. Um, now, the lottery's got a different definition here, and we've got you know spots 9 and 10 open for some version of the postseason, but you get the point. You think those two teams are bottom half of the West, and you would think the Jazz would win those games. All right, we got uh, games tonight. We don't have the uh, the Jazz tonight, but we got the NFL. Tom Brady and the Bucks taking on the Eagles. Brady with a thumb injury. He's expected to play anyway. Eagles are off to a two and three start. The NFC East doesn't look very good. Dallas, however, after last year's disaster that division, Dallas has got Prescott back, so they look like they're ready to run away with that thing. The Eagles are flying around five hundred, and the Bucks. Have one loss. The Rams got them. But other than that, the defending champs are pretty much picking up where they left off. How bad is the thumb? How will Brady look? And 
even when you win a lot, you win a lot of close games. We saw Tampa Bay just barely win at New England a couple weeks ago. They won, but man, it went right down to the end, even though, again, good team playing a mediocre team, or maybe even worse than that. Yeah, nothing Brady does now surprises me. 620 on Fox in the NFL Network tonight for the Bucks and the Eagles. And then about 45 minutes later, Dodgers-Giants game five. Giants were one game better in the regular season. So they won the division. They've got the home field for whatever that is worth tonight. They will be uh, at AT&T right there by the bay, all packed with people wearing orange and black, cheering for them. But it's one game, and there's a ton of pressure, and anything could happen. I don't think that the home field matters. I think the opportunity, if it comes to that, to bat last, to have defining strategy, meaning you full know if you get to the ninth, 10th, whatever it might be, that you only have uh, one run to score. You know, the Dodgers in the top of the ninth or top of whatever. You know, they want to score the run, but who's to say the Giants don't come back? Whereas if you know definitively what you need, rather than the field itself, I don't think it's the fact that you can bat last. And the thing about baseball, we've seen it so many times, is some no-name dude comes up with a big hit. And that's the great thing about it, is that it, it could be somebody who's hitting 220. But he swings the ball at the bat, swings the bat at the ball, and and there it goes. You know, and so, a legend can be made tonight. Something that we'll be talking about fifty years from now. Maybe not. It's not like every game in this situation that's the case. Yeah, but. But that would suck if we got some eight to two game that basically felt like it was over in the third inning. You want the tension? Oh, for sure, drama. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's what baseball has is that in between pitches and so forth, and he fouls off five in a row, and the t- and you see the people in the stands and they're in praying motions, uh, their body language is all tense and all that. That's fun. All right, DJ PK, it's ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Your feedback next, and you are weighing in on what colors the Jazz should be wearing. We will get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Well, PK, we have talked college football, big games, BYU and Baylor, Utah and Arizona State. The Jazz wrap up the preseason with Jared Butler. Looking like he could have a big impact on a team that we really didn't think necessarily needed someone to come in and provide that kind of impact. But if he's that good, it can't hurt. We got all this stuff, and people want to talk about what color uniforms the Jazz are wearing. Ryan, I guess I'm old. I hate it. (laughs) Hate it? Don't sugarcoat it, Ryan. Give it to us straight. We can handle it. Haven't seen it, so I don't know whether to hate it or not. Probably won't hate it. Not sure yet. Not sure I even like how it's being done. Seems kind of secret-like in a way. I don't know about that. I mean, they're going to, if they do it, whatever they do, however they do it, they'll announce it when it's there and it's available. Jake says, death taxes and a new jazz color scheme. Yeah, we've been through a few of them. Three things you can count on, huh? Exactly. Death taxes and a new jazz color scheme. What they haven't worn yet, PK, is brown. The Wyoming Cowboys, the San Diego Padres, it's a short list. Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. The St. Louis Browns back in the day apparently wore brown. Uh, you got the Niners have some brown in there, don't they? Uh, gold, but they've tweaked with the shade of gold, so I can see why people would say brown. 
Jeff says, oh, the colors are fine because we're always doing that. Logo and name are classic and well-known by sports fans around the world. Let's not fix something that's not broken there. Yeah, but I think that Ryan Smith is doing things to bring attention to the team and community, and that's probably some degree of uh, reason behind doing whatever they might decide to do and, and, in fact, do. I'm not sure what that is. But it draws attention and it brings people into the mindset of Utah, Salt Lake, the Jazz, all those types of things. Uh, R. Paul 10 says, I don't care. I would rather they change the name. Jazz has never made sense to me since it doesn't fit our city slash state. Yeah, but that's why they should keep it because it doesn't make sense. Curtis says, let's get a saxophone on the jersey. Enough of the jazz musical note. The sax, huh? The sax. The joy of sax. Jazz Viking says we should rebrand the city, the jersey colors, the red, rock, orange. That was it. It was nice. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if I want to rebrand it, rebrand it exclusively or, or primarily, but it was good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed them. Just a guy says, I don't give a bleep. I only care about an entertaining product and being competitive. That's your guy right there, PK. Wear whatever colors you like, but please tell me the team's good. Well, I think that's, to me, that's like 90%. I don't discount what they wear because I think we all have our personal choice favorites. So I have to see what it is to say I don't completely care. I probably won't care because I don't think it's going to be that outrageous or distasteful to the point where I think, what are they doing? So I'll probably roll with it and just say, all right, that's okay, and then move quickly on to how good's the team, who they playing tonight, that type of thing. Jim says, I don't care, but I'm 66 years old. Just win a championship before I'm in the home. <laughs> Jim, man, he's got a timeline. So Let's go. You're, when you're in the home, you won't appreciate it as much. You might appreciate it more well, because he, you're homebound. He doesn't know. He may or may not be able to enjoy it. You're right. He might, but he might not. <laughs> I thought you were going to say in the ground. I didn't think he was going to go home. <laughs> he went home. I'm reading it. Yeah. It's on Twitter. You can check my mentions. <laughs> I'm not editing him. <laughs> Uh, and then we saw, like we've seen with the Cubs and the Red Sox, that the descendants and the people living went and honored the people who have passed straight, when the team did win. Straight to the grave. Yeah. Very touching. Joseph says, who cares? Comma, all caps, just win! Double exclamation point. That's the thing is, whatever they wear will be iconic if they win it all wearing it. <laughs> then, then people will love it. They'll associate it with the winning. It could be some oh, lousy sure. scheme you and I draw draw up. It'd be horrible. Everyone at Magnolia, what's that called? Magnolia Lane. Well, Magnolia, Magnolia Way. Magnolia Way. Call it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, Magnolia Fixer Way. Upper is the TV reality show deal they got going on. Yeah. They have a collection called Magnolia Lane Collection. I found out recently. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right, Hans and Scotty will continue the discussion next. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.